Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, He's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Teresa Jefferson Snorton, presiding bishop of the 5th Episcopal District of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We rejoice to have on our podcast today Bishop uh, Teresa Jefferson Snorton uh, of the 5th Episcopal District of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. And so welcome, Bishop, and we're thankful for your spending time uh, with us today. Oh, thank you, Dr. Goatley, and I'm excited about this conversation. Recently, more than 50 pastors have been on pilgrimage together toward flourishing in ministry. Our assumptions is that every round does not go higher and higher, and that flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving. And the flourishing in ministry can be understood like a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, sometimes leaves may be falling away, sometimes there are only branches. The tree may still be healthy and thriving. And so when you think about flourishing in ministry. Can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? I'm an educator. I've spent a lot of my life uh, pre-ministry in uh, uh, elementary education. And then since I've been in ministry, I've spent a lot of time in higher education, particularly uh, in theological schools and uh, around um graduate education and preparation for ministry. So when I hear a question like that, the first thing that comes to my mind is this notion of outcomes. Uh, a flourishing ministry is an outcome of, of a particular action. And I think when we think about uh, an outcome that's um, representative of thriving and striving in ministry, it, it should be a holistic outcome, not, not a compartmentalized outcome. So um, by that, what I mean is we can kind of think of it as a, a flourishing ministry has a physical outcome. 
there, there's something you see that happens. Uh, it, it, it may represent uh, church growth in terms of numbers. It might represent the expansion of some kind of ministry, but, but you see something physical. But th that's incomplete unless one who is in ministry is also growing spiritually. So you should see in a, in a thriving ministry, whether it's a congregation or a pastor, some, some sense of spiritual growth, some way in which they are continuing to, to grow stronger and experience God in new and more revelatory ways that then give them new energy to keep going in ministry. Uh, two, other, two other parts of that, though, have to accompany both that physical and that spiritual, and that's the mental and the emotional. So to, to flourish in ministry, you also have to grow mentally. You have to study and read and, and acquire new information and process new information and critically think through situations. And then finally, and, and of equal importance, is emotional. Uh, a, 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 thr a thriving minister, a flourishing ministry is one where you see evidence of emotional growth as well. Uh, coping skills, the ability to monitor one's own uh, temperature, so to speak, so that I'm not uh, dumping my baggage <laughs> on other people. And I'm not inflicting wounds because I'm wounded. So I think a flourishing ministry is one that has outcomes that are evidenced in these four quadrants. That's really helpful. And uh, I, I like the, the way you talked about the, the holistic uh, dimension that is not compartmentalized uh, and that uh, they, I suspect that they mutually inform uh, each other, would you say? Oh, absolutely. I can give you a, a real example uh, from my own life. Uh, I have been teaching at Candler School of Theology at Emory, uh, Intro to Pastoral Care, and had taught uh, a section of that class on grief and, you know, had my neat little paradigm down and how I describe the stages of grief and, and how you uh, minister to someone in grief and what dynamics you need to be aware of. And then uh, my son, who at the time was a senior in high school, his girlfriend died suddenly. She got a pneumonia and uh, did not recover. And just, you know, within nine days of being sick to the hospital to ICU, she died. And uh, I can remember walking back into mass uh, that day, uh, well, like the week after a funeral. And the first thing I said to the class was, everything I've told you about grief, forget it. Because my real life experience had transformed how I understood grief. And so I began with that class to process some of what, some of my new insights. So out of this very deep personal um intense emotional experience where I'm feeling lost, my son is grieving, uh, I began to have new intellectual awareness and, and begin to process new ways uh, to, to communicate that in a way that uh, people would have concepts that they then could take into the congregation with them. So for me, that's kind of an example of how when things happen, as you have experiences, you have to take the time and make the make room and make space for them to integrate into your whole experience. So the next year, my syllabus on grief looked very different. That leads me to a, a, another question because you talked about how that context uh, informed uh, your own teaching. And so uh, in our pilgrimages of striving and thriving, uh, we've been working 
uh, on something that we call a formula for flourishing, not the formula, but a formula for flourishing, which holds this, that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus the service context yields ministry content, mm -hmm. then there's a higher probability for flourishing. In other words, if we build our content out of our capacity and context, rather than trying to drag and drop, you know, something that we see somebody else doing, then we have a higher probability of flourishing. So can you talk uh, to us about how your context of service has informed your content of ministry as a pastoral leader? Well, um, context is very important because if you don't understand where you are and the history, uh, then you're apt to um, employ uh, strategies that may not be relevant and, and that may not work. So I think as a pastor, uh, as a minister, you always have to have that capacity. So um, I, I went from... Um, as you mentioned, one of my primary contexts is, uh, was uh, ministry outside of the a local contemporary local church. I was with the Association of Clinical Pastoral Education, where I was working with um, mostly seminary graduates, uh, people who were invested in some, to some extent, lifelong learning. I worked with those educators, and so that was my context. And so most, uh, much of um, what I did was was out of a sensitivity to the needs of that that group. Then uh, I short at the end of that tour, I got elected bishop, and my first appointment was to uh, the continent of Africa, eleven countries in East Africa and South Africa. Now talk about a radical change of context, and it was one that I really could not ignore, but it required of me to, to study the context. To And, and what, what quickly occurred to me was, now Africa, we talk about Africa like Africa is a homogenous thing, but there are so many different countries, and I learned so much about the, the internal wars and the poverty and the... Um, stealing of the land and the natural resources. But, but that was not the story of every country. And so for me, it, part of being successful and flourishing is giving space and taking that time to, to think about the context where you are. Now I'm in Alabama and Florida. And let me tell you, that, talk about context. Those are, are two of the 50 states but they are so radically different. That's the context where I preside as bishop. And so uh, just, just for an example, uh, during the pandemic, uh, the regulations and rules and, and outcomes in the state of Alabama and what's been happening in Florida are different. Uh, those two states have taken very different approaches to the pandemic. So I have had to take two very different approaches to how I work with my pastors around the pandemic. I can't do the same thing because the same thing doesn't apply everywhere. And so 
so for me, that's that's a real example of how your the context matters. And context isn't just a simple thing; it can be multi layered. And I especially experienced that in Alabama, where I've got urban churches, but I've got a whole lot of rural churches. And what makes sense in an urban area doesn't translate. Uh, when when uh, I talk about um, uh, even, for example, using technology, I've got a swath of the state of Alabama where there is no broadband internet. And I have churches there and I have members there. So how do I reach them if I want to be in touch with them in this virtual space? So context matters. Context makes a difference. And you must, if you're going to flourish, you must take that seriously and not just assume, well, that worked over there. Let me try it over here. Well, I would think that just as context it is very important for the content of ministry, that the capacity of a pastor equally uh, contributes to the content of ministry. Since all of us are different and we have different abilities and different temperaments and talents, etc., uh, could you could you say something uh, from your perspective uh, as a ministry leader about how the capacity of a pastor contributes to the content of the pastor's ministry? Well, if, if we go back to that paradigm that I mentioned earlier about the physical, mental, emotional and spiritual uh, as pastors, if we have not done our own self-development work, and that's what kind of hooked me on CPE. I, I love the CPE paradigm as far as how you, you're called to look both externally at what you're doing, your pastoral functioning, but you're, you're called to look internally, what motivates you, where are your strengths, where are your growing edges. If you're not intimately aware of that, then you actually begin to do ministry blindly and sabotage whatever capacity you might have. Uh, so, so I think that pastors and this whole notion of capacity is really important and um, how one embraces what you do well and how you also uh, acknowledge that's not my strong suit. How do I get the resources that I need to perform, say, that particular function in ministry or how do I enhance my own skills? Because if, if I try, well, I'm a bishop, so I can honestly say I have a lot of pastors who have some capacity deficits and it ends up impacting their ministry. So capacity is key. And it's not just a matter of uh, the pastor or the minister showing up <laughs> and charisma is all you need. That just doesn't work very, it might work well for a month or two, but it's not good for the long haul. A word to our listeners, Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world through prayer partnership, financial support, and technical assistance. We come alongside indigenously-led communities to support ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy. Together, 
We are touching lives with transforming love. You can invest in churches, schools, clinics, and more throughout the world. Visit us at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for your partnership in this ministry. Welcome back to the Lot Carey Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Teresa Jefferson Snorton, presiding bishop of the 5th Episcopal District of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. To help our listeners see that even bishops have to grow as well, could you tell us about an area of leadership uh, that you had uh, to work on developing? Uh, and and how you went about strengthening your own capacity in that area? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of background. I am the oldest child, and I I suffer from oldest child syndrome, having been given the responsibility of of looking after my younger sisters and you know latchkey children. We didn't call ourselves that then, but, uh, you know, I had a lot, lot of responsibility. And so I have personally a tendency to overfunction, a tendency to feel like I have to do everything. And so from a leadership perspective, where I have been challenged the most is around the issue of delegating of allowing others to use their gifts and talents and, and inviting them into the, into the leadership space. Now I'm comfortable with other people being leaders, but, but there, I do wrestle with this kind of possessiveness of, of things and where I want, I have in my mind how I want it to work and how I want it to be. But sometimes even though my idea might be good, it might not really match the 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 style of the person that I'm trying to empower and to equip and to acknowledge as a leader. So being able to delegate and delegate means, you know, I acknowledge my supervisory responsibility, but I also back away enough from it to give someone else the opportunity to exercise their own leadership muscles. I have found uh, when I'm able to do that, it, it, it creates some good relationship bonds with uh, the pastors and leaders that I work with because they experience me kind of bequeathing them something that, that I value, but I bequeath it to them in a spirit of trust. And um, that, that strengthens ministry. It strengthens the ministry team when there's a sense that the leader recognizes that other people can bring something to the table. Thank you for that. I want to shift a little bit now, and I want to ask you, what brings you the most joy as a pastoral leader, and has that evolved over time? Well, I will say, as a bishop, one of the real surprises 
and, and one of the things that I miss as a result of the the current pandemic is um, visiting the local churches. I have 210 local churches, uh, which is a lot. So, you know, I try to get to about, you know, 20, 25% of them every year, which means every Sunday I'm in a different church. And just the experience of being in their worship space, uh, which which is different everywhere I go. They're all CMEs and we have this common Wesleyan heritage and, and this common um, common sense of, of, of who we are, but it, it's different. And I can remember uh, going to a church that I actually went to see the church because I was thinking about closing the church <laughs> because the membership had dwindled. And I went on a first Sunday and it was one of the most powerful communion services I'd ever participated in with this little group of about eight people and the pastor and me, but it was so powerful. I walked away thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to close that church. Uh, so just the being face to face and having these one, one-on-one experiences with local congregations is, is, um, encouraging. Now, I do have some discouraging moments when I go into some of the spaces and I think, oh my God, you all really need help. But but the chance to just um, uh, engage with people who are, who are really just trying to live their faith is really a blessing. And one of my other roles, I am the ecumenical officer of the denomination. So I spend a lot of time with what I call churchocrats. You know, bureaucrats, but we're churchocrats. <laughs> and so so the opposite of that is being down there at that local church level with, uh, you know, the people, <laughs> the, the, the members that really, really keep the church going and growing and moving forward. What is the best advice that you have received about being a leader in the church? One of the best pieces of advice that has helped me, as I mentioned earlier, with my struggle around over-functioning, over-committing, over-extending myself, um, has to do with someone who once told me, well, you do know you always have the right to change your mind. And that was radical for me. It was like, oh, I really do. I do have that right to change my mind. So where that has been helpful to me is in rather than uh, stressing myself out or stretching beyond uh, my own capacity or my own resources, if I found that I've overcommitted, then, you know, I'm I'm much more comfortable than I used to be calling up someone saying, I know I said I would do this, but I'm not going to be able to um, make that, you know, keep that commitment. But Conversely, because that's not really a conversation I like to have with people, <laughs> I make wiser choices in advance <laughs> earlier. So I look at my calendar and I go, eh, no, there's really not enough time for that. And so I'm, I'm less inclined to overbook myself and, and, and overwhelm myself with, with obligations that really end up um, with me. Um, I guess to some, sometimes running on fumes. There have been times when, you know, I've been going, but I was truly just running on fumes and, and that's not healthy. It's not a way to flourish and it's definitely not a way you're going to thrive. How have you learned 
to say um, no um, so that you can say yes to the right things, but discern how to say no to other things. That's hard for leaders to do. It, it really is because um, you really do want to, um, you know, meet the needs that people put before you. And whether that's a speaking engagement or a request to, you know, help someone with a project or, or um, you know, whatever. So um, one, one of my CPE supervisors once told me, that, and this may fall into that category of good advice, uh, the, a choice, your hardest choices are always the choices between two good things. If there's a bad thing and a good thing that you're choosing between, that's usually not a hard choice because you're usually going to choose the good thing. So if, if you become comfortable choosing between two good things, then it, it empowers you to make those kinds of choices. So uh, in in managing requests, one of the things that I remind myself is it's all good. All all these projects and, and speaking engagements and revivals and, and all that, it, it's all good. I'm not, uh, I, by making a choice, I'm not saying one is better and the other is not. So that that's the first thing. The, the second thing, uh, though is is for me, I keep a calendar and my calendar is uh, if you were to see it, you go like, who can who how, how do you know what that is? But I know what it is. But I, I have an appreciation uh, perhaps with age of how much time things actually take. Uh, one of the things that, that you have to recognize, if travel is involved, if getting ready is involved, if preparation is involved, you have to make time for that on your calendar. And so on my calendar, I mark that time off as if it's, you know, I designate when I'm going to do that, that kind of preparatory, even down to packing. Uh, because if I don't, and it looks like free space on my calendar, and somebody says, hey, can you do this tomorrow night at seven o'clock? And I'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can. But tomorrow at 7 o'clock, I need to be packing. Now I've got to stay up until midnight or 2 a.m. doing that because I didn't allow enough time. So making sure that that I mark time, and that time even includes time for myself. Uh, I mark off on my calendar time that I'm saying I'm doing nothing during this period of time. This is my time. Uh, or I'm going to finish reading that book, and I schedule it like it's an appointment. Uh, otherwise, other things will take take up that space. Uh, so, so I would say, um, first of all, being able to uh, being able to make a choice, designating time. But then I think third and finally, for me, uh, I have had to decide what are my priorities in my ministry. Uh, because I get, at, particularly as a bishop, requests to support all kinds of projects, you know, everything. And everything's good and all things are great, but but I just can't possibly do everything. Uh, there's a point in which even with 100% capacity, that would become compromised if I'm trying to do 200%. So I've decided, you know, essentially what are my three top priorities? And those are the activities and events and projects that I make space for and for things that fall outside of that, 
I say, well, that sounds good, but that's you know beyond what I'm to do. But I always try to find someone that I can refer them to. Uh, kind of keep my ear to the ground and know that, oh, so-and-so's interested in that. So I, I'm, I'm also good at trying to refer them to other resources, to other people that they may not know that could all that could probably do a better job than I would because that is a priority for them. For my last question, I'd like to ask, what advice would you like to give to our listeners about what they can do to flourish in ministry in whatever way God is calling them? I think the first thing that I would say is spend adequate time in meditation and reflection. We live in a culture that's hurry up, that's uh, easy to get sensory overload and information overload and activity overload. And if you don't spend some time in meditation and reflection, reflecting on what you've heard, what you've experienced, how you felt, what that means for you in the context of who you are, who you are as a minister or who you are desiring to become, meditating in terms of what is God saying through these experiences and through these reflections. So make sure that that's not an area you neglect. Do whatever you have to do to, to set aside that, I guess in some ways, it's Sabbath time for yourself. I say to pastors all the time, Sunday is not your Sabbath. That's a work day. <laughs> when is your Sabbath? So uh, that would be the, the, the first thing. The second thing I would say is patience. It really takes time to develop. Uh, and, and if you don't have a sense of patience and gracious graciousness towards that process, then you're going to try to be something that you are not yet. And, uh, you know, we've all seen children play dress up and people will look at you and say, oh, you know, look, they're just playing dress up. They're not. It, it, it's OK that you've only been in ministry three years. You're not going to have the same wisdom and the same experience and the same insight uh, that you're going to have when you've been in there 30 years. And so be patient with yourself and understand where you are in your process. And of course, the reflection will help you with that because if you're constantly evaluating and reflecting on where you've been, then you're creating uh, the platform upon which you're gonna build your next steps of, of self-development and professional development. Uh, and then I would, I would say uh, the last is be a lifelong learner. Don't ever get to the point where you don't think there's anything else for you to learn. Being a lifelong learner, reading, studying, taking classes, uh, going to seminars, exposing yourself to new information and new opportunities. If you don't do that, you're going to be doing 2020 ministry in 2030, which we know is going to be different. Bishop Teresa Jefferson Snorton, the presiding prelate of the 5th Episcopal District of the CME Church. You have blessed us with your wisdom and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and to help us as we all seek to move down this road of flourishing in ministry. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I enjoyed the questions and the conversation.
Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Thank you.